This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Tanya Blanchard, welcome to Better Reading, or should I say, welcome back to Better Reading. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, so different times. We're doing it over Zoom. In the past, we've done it in person. Yeah. But this is our new world now, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a strange new world, but I think we're all starting to adjust. Yeah, we are indeed. So Tanya was inspired to write by the fascinating stories her German grandmother told her as a child. Coming from a family with a rich cultural heritage, stories have always been in her blood. Her first novel, published by Simon & Schuster Australia, The Girl from Munich, was a runaway bestseller, as was the sequel, Suitcase of Dreams. Her latest book, Letters from Berlin, is another unforgettable tale of love, courage and betrayal inspired by a true story. Tanya Blanchard's historical fiction novels are fan favourites at Better Reading. You know that all our readers just love you. Thank Uh, you. The Girl from Munich and its follow-up, Suitcase of Dreams, are both on this year's Top 100 list. And now publisher Simon & Susha has announced that more than 100,000 copies have sold in Australia. Wow, wow. How do you feel about that? Oh, it's unbelievable. I feel a bit shell-shocked, to be honest. I never expected both books to do so very well, and I just feel so privileged that people are loving my stories and, uh, you know, picking them up off the shelves and that I can share such fabulous stories with them. So how long have you been writing now? Because you had another career, Mm. didn't you? Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm an ex-physiotherapist. So, yeah, I just straight out of school went to uni and did physiotherapy. Always loved writing. It was always in my background. So I worked as a physio for, gosh, I think about 15 years, I guess. And when my kids were little at home um, and I was with them at home, I took a bit of a break from physio. That's when I got back into writing again. I was writing stories for them. And it was then I realised, my God, I've missed this so much. I've really got to get back and do writing full time. And I'd always had this idea in the back of my mind, one day I'll write a novel one day. I thought, bugger this, I'll write a novel now. I'm not going to wait till one day. Um, well, and that's, that's when day. I started. I know. It's amazing. This is one day, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you got started. So while you were practising as a physiotherapist, were you daydreaming all the time, dreaming stories? Oh, yeah, yeah, always, always stories in the back of my mind. From time to time I'd uh, sit down and and do a bit of creative writing, a bit of journal writing, but I was always pretty busy being at work with doing physio, running my own business and then having the kids and at uni, of course, it was all science-based, so the, the creative juices didn't flow quite so well. 
So, um, yeah, there was, it was always there, um, but it wasn't until I stopped and took that break that, you know, those creative juices came flowing back again. You know, I speak to a lot of um, authors who say that they really started thinking about writing once they had their children, mm. and I am always in awe of them because from where I sit, it looks so exhausting that I don't know how on earth you get to even make time to clear your head to write when you have young children. I mean, how, how young were your kids when you started writing? Um, I guess uh, my youngest would have been about two. So my oldest was about six. So she had started school already. I was working part-time as a physio. So I had the kids in daycare a couple of days a week and then my daughter at school. And um, it was perhaps on the off days when the, the two youngest were at home with me that I started writing. And I guess... Um, I guess it just, when they were sleeping, I'd sit down and write or when they were watching a bit of telly, thank God for telly and movies. That was the way to just have a bit of peace and quiet for a short period of time. Sometimes at night after they'd gone to bed, I just found actually it was more just the urge to write just became so strong in me that I couldn't stop. I, I just had to sit down and do it. I couldn't, um, you know, resist it any longer. So it became quite uh, an uh, overwhelming urge to actually sit and write once I'd started. It just became stronger. So, that, so that's tell, how it started. And tell me the writing school. Tell me about that. So I uh, did a bit of um, online uh, writing courses with the Australian um, Writer Centre um, while the kids were at school uh, just to improve my skills because I don't come from a writing background. So um, I wanted to learn more about um, characterisation and dialogue and structure, and they were fantastic. So at that time I was writing uh, children's fiction, I suppose, and then it sort of morphed into young adults as they got a bit older, the kids. So I did, uh, first of all, a course in um, children's and young adult writing and then one in just fiction writing just to improve my skills. So I went away and started writing some more as a result of those courses and and wrote a full-length young adult novel. And then I found that I couldn't really go any further on my own. And I had previously done a one-day workshop with Fiona McIntosh in Canberra. And um, I saw that she was running some masterclasses online. I thought, oh, my God, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need. I know that she's inspiring. Um, She's passionate. And she also does, um, well, at that time, I didn't know I was going to write historical fiction, but that became a blessing in disguise so I went down to Adelaide for her five-day masterclass and that's, uh, that, was, that changed my life. It really did. Um, learnt lots more about writing, of course. Um, but the big thing was that um, through Fiona, I realised that, you know, I, I actually could write, that I wasn't, you know, some, someone that just thought that they could write. And she said to me, well, look, you know, fantasy isn't really flying so well at the moment. Um, is there something else that you want to write? I said, well, actually, I've got my grandmother's story that I want to write. And she always told me these stories and I explained to her what had happened. And she goes, oh, my God, go away and write that. And with her experience of historical writing as well, that really inspired me. And I thought, yeah, this is the time to go out there and, and write The Girl from Munich. That's when that started. So tell me a little bit about your background and how the Girl from Munich story came about because it's so powerful. Yeah, um, well, my grandmother always uh, would tell us stories about her life in Germany um, during World War II when she was a young woman. And they always, I found them so fascinating, particularly she'd tell stories like they were running through the forest at the end of the war, her and her boss to get away from the Americans. 
because if he was caught, he was an officer in the Luftwaffe, that he would be imprisoned. And so they were running through the forest and she'd had to uh, sleep out in the middle of the open and they were trying to get to her mother who was in a, in a village in the countryside. So stories like that just inflamed my imagination and they were always with me. And I was very close with her. And she died in 2015 and uh, left behind boxes of documents, memorabilia, letters and photos. I, we had no idea that she had kept all this stuff about her life in Germany, about when they migrated to Australia in the 1950s and their early days in Sydney. So the look, I'd always wanted to tell her story. It was always in the back of my mind, but I never thought of it as a reality until I did Fiona's course. So my grandmother had passed about six months earlier. So it was perfect timing then to sit down. I'd already found these documents and, um, and work through the process of putting her life story together. And between the stories and the documents and the photos and letters that she'd left, I was able to, to piece together um, a good rendition of what, of what her life had been like and then obviously filled in the, the gaps with, with a bit of fiction. Um, and that's how The Girl from Munich started. It's a beautiful story. And what's your background? Because you've got, is it German and Italian? Tell me. That's right. So my grandmother, so my mum's side of the family is German um, and my dad's side is Italian. So both my mum and dad came to Australia in the 50s with their, with their families um, and migrated out here. And they were both um, children at the time. So, yeah, so I guess I'm first-generation Australian. <clears throat> and that really comes through, I think. I think it gives your fiction certain layers to it. Tell me a little bit about the story of The Girl from Munich, what the actual book. I mean, it's so unique. So just give me a, a, an overview of it so that sure. we can get to where we are now with Letters from Berlin. Yeah, Letters from Berlin is a story about a mixed marriage family. So that's a Jewish woman and a German husband set through uh, World War II Germany and it follows their story through through the war years and into the Soviet occupation. Um, so basically um, the story starts in 1943, set in and around Berlin and uh, Elia Hecker finds that she has now been placed on the register for Jews in Berlin and now must wear the Star of David. It's quite late in the, the Nazi period and the war story. The reason this is um, because she uh, she's married to Georg, who is uh, landed gentry German, and she's in a protected marriage, um, being married to a German person. But by this stage of the war, the, the, the final solution uh, has come about. So the Nazis are trying to get rid of the Jews. The losses at Stalingrad are starting to come trickle through to Germany, and um, the Nazis are pretty keen to get rid of the rest of the Jews. So when this takes place, um, not only is Elia at risk of having some dreadful fate ahead of her, but their son Leo, who um, is half Jewish, he also now is at risk. Living with, um, with this family is Susie, our main character. She is the goddaughter of Elia and Georg, and um, she, uh, she's been living with them as a, since she was a small girl when her parents and family were killed in a car crash. And she feels devastated and helpless to do anything to help her adoptive family. She's desperate to help in any way that she can. So when um, a family friend, an influential Nazi, offers to help to protect Elia and Leo, um, she jumps at the opportunity. 
So yeah. how does it connect back to the girl from Munich? That's what I was trying to get at. There's threads oh, that sorry. run through all three books. That's what I love about them, that they're all standalone, mm. but there's a thread in all of them. So just yeah. take me back to the first one and then thread it through for me. So obviously the girl from Munich starts with um, my grandmother's story in Germany during World War II when she's a young woman mm-hmm. um, and follows, follows her story through the war years and afterwards. Suitcase of Dream follows her story um, as she migrates then out to Australia in the 1950s with her family, and that's her life here in Australia. And then Letters from Berlin actually links slightly differently. So my in Letters from Berlin, Leo, the, the, the character of Leo, is actually based on the life of my grandmother's cousin. So this is her father's brother's son. Um, so this is a member of the family she didn't have very much to do with uh, when she was in Germany. Her brothers had met this family on their way to the Eastern Front. They'd stayed with them in Berlin as they went off to the Eastern Front. Um, so they did have some family connections, but my grandmother didn't have much to do with them. Um, so then she received a letter when she was in her 80s from newly connected family members in Germany, and this letter was from this cousin. He'd just come back from South America. I'd been living there for 40 years after the war, gone back to Germany, and these family members had reconnected with him as well. So the story is based, Letters from Berlin is based on his family story and what happened to his family during World War II and afterwards. Uh, And that's the family connection there. So um, he is the the cousin of my grandmother. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I think it's extraordinary how you've got three novels, you know, because it is, there is so many layers to every story. I bet you when you first finished The Girl from Munich, you probably thought there was so much more I could say, but I couldn't, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And an end. And I think the way you have pursued your writing in historical fiction, where it's kind of personal every time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a very personal story because they're family stories, and I'm learning more and more about these family members. And that's a really exciting thing. Tell me something that you've learned that's really surprised you or something that's really shocked you or upset you. Tell me that in your research. Um, particularly with letters from Berlin, I guess the biggest thing that I learned about were these mixed marriages. I knew virtually nothing about Jewish people in mixed marriages. And essentially at the end of the war, uh, those Jewish people that survived, particularly say in Berlin, were essentially those people that were in mixed marriages. And they survived because they, they, their marriages were actually protected. So that, that was, I suppose, the most surprising thing that I found out. 
that with the Nuremberg race laws in 1935, Jewish people were not allowed to marry Germans um, and they weren't allowed to have relationships with Germans and their citizenships were revoked. But um, the laws were not retroactive. So those people already in mixed marriages remained in their mixed marriages. They were try that people tried to persuade them to divorce, but um, you know they they essentially could remain in these marriages, and that's what protected them from being sent off um, and in deportations to the ghettos of the East, and then to the concentration camps and the extermination camps. Um, and that's how this group of Jewish people survived till the end of the war. So I knew nothing about this group of people. But their lives are also very tenuous as the war progressed. The, the Nazis came after them most definitely, not only for those people in, in these mixed marriages, um, but also their children. Their children were, were half Jewish and they were called Mischling. And they too also had a lot of restrictions on them. They weren't allowed to marry Germans. And as the war progressed, they weren't allowed to join the military and they weren't allowed to also go to university and by 1944, um, there was a large drive to get the Michelin into um, the work labour camps to complete the Nazi engineering and building construction projects, uh, building roads, uh, railways, uh, runways for the aircraft, for the new jet aircraft that were being rolled out, communication hubs and bunkers as the war was progressing and Germany was losing. Um, so it was really fascinating and a lot of them actually perished in this process as well and um, a lot of them ended up in concentration camps um, after they were in these work camps as well. It was a way of getting them through um, to the extermination camps. Do your parents read your books? Yes, <laughs> yeah, they do. How do they feel? Oh, look, I think particularly my mum, because this is my mum's side of the family, I think with the girl from Munich she wasn't sure what to expect to start with. So I think she she got into it a bit um, a bit sort of tentatively. But once she got over the fact that this was her mother I was writing about and got into it as a historical story, she absolutely loved it. Suitcase of Dreams is a little bit closer to home for her, of course, because I was also writing a bit about her life as a child. But I, I tried to keep it as authentic as I possibly could and used a lot of the stories and the memories that she had uh, in the book. And I think she she was really happy with the results of, of that one. Yeah. Does that worry you when you're writing? Do you think Of course. About, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I worry about um, I worry about not offending anyone in my family and, and keeping their privacy. That's really important to me. But they're all aware that this is a, a work of fiction, what I'm writing based on family stories, based on family members' lives. Um, one that once, that once they realise that, they're, they're absolutely fine with, with the story. I try to be as respectful as I possibly can. And also, too, these stories are universal in a sense. I mean, there's a lot of people affected, not just your family. but And so there's a lot of sensitivity around it, isn't there? Yeah, they are absolutely universal stories, especially uh, with, you know, with Suitcase of Dreams. So many people have written to me about their migration stories in the 1950s and 60s, not just Germans, from all walks of life, from all parts of the world. And of course, that migration story continues now. So it, it, it is essentially a universal story. The same sorts of things happen to people that migrate to new countries and new places where they know nobody. So I think I think that that's a great thing to be able to portray. 
I often think about that because I think I'm, mm. you know this, but my parents are Lebanese Australians. Yeah. And I think about not just them, but all those people that leave their homeland looking for a better life for their children. It is so, I don't know if we've talked about this before, Tanya, but I feel that it's such an act of bravery and courage, you know. It so is. Absolutely. Incredible courage and bravery. And if they didn't take that leap of faith, we certainly wouldn't be here enjoying the wonderful life and opportunities that we have here in Australia. So certainly all their hard work and perseverance and that that courage uh, really paid off for their generations down the track. And it is. I mean, you know, it's happening all the time and every day in our lives and in, in the world today. Tell me about the separation between history. So you're writing historical fiction, but you're doing proper research as well. Yep. Tell yep. me about that weaving process. Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating process, actually, and something I really love to do. I, I guess um, I, I uh, love writing, weaving fiction with the historical fact, and I always love to start my stories with the scaffolding of the, the real story. So whether it be family stories that I'm able to um, back up with research, whether it's uh, facts that I already know about. There are certain points in the family story that I'm able to to plot out, I suppose. So I love to start with those so I know where I'm going through my story. But, of course, there's lots of gaps in between. I don't know the full story and, sadly, the people I'm writing about are no longer here. So I can't get any further information. So I'm starting with limited facts, I suppose, but what I love to do then is um, collaborate that information and, and um, put it all together and, and back it up with historical fact. But then reading things about how people lived at that time, how historical events would have uh, impacted upon them and imagining how that would uh, affect my, my characters in my story. So I love weaving those sort of imaginings, I suppose, and putting together what their life might have been like, making them real on the page with, with the actual events that happened and with the historical background that they, that they lived through. Mm, it's like bringing them to life, isn't it? Like, yeah, it yeah. sure is. So you're writing full-time now? Yeah, writing full-time now, yep, and tell loving me, it. Tell me how that works for you. Well, I try and work uh, about four days a week if I can, and I work school hours because I still have kids at school. But at least um, when they are at school, I have a peaceful, quiet house. I usually start uh, working about eight, between eight and nine in the morning, sit with my hot cup of coffee, and I'll sit and write my words that I've got to do for that day. I have a word count that I try and keep to. Usually I'll have an idea where I'm headed in the story at that point of the day, but often by the end of the day, I'll have ended up somewhere quite different. And that might be just through naturally as I write that the story takes its own direction. Um, Sometimes it's because I get stuck and I need to do some further research to move forward in the story. And during the process of that research, I find these fantastic nuggets of information or, or great stories or letters or something that captures my imagination. I think, oh, my God, I've got to put that in there. I've got to write about that. And that inevitably takes a story on a slightly different direction again. I always have an idea where I, I need to be, but um, it's, it's a little bit fluid. So I, I tend to do that about four days a week and work school hours if I can, sort of finishing about four, four o'clock in the afternoon. So do you call yourself a physiotherapist or a writer? Well, I now finally, it took a long time to have the confidence to do this. I now call myself a writer. Yeah, yeah. I haven't worked as a physio for quite some time either. I feel very proud to call myself a writer now. 
And so 100,000 copies, is that combined sales? Of your yes, combined sales. And yep. that's only two books, right? Um, yeah, so that's how two did books. you feel about that? Uh, I felt that it was really surreal. I couldn't believe that that had happened to me. I never imagined that I would sell that many copies, but I'm, I'm so proud that people are loving my story and, and, you know, buying the books and that I can share my stories out there, have them out there and stories of my family. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Mm, it is wonderful. Well, Tanya Blanchard, lovely talking to you as always. Congratulations. The new book is called Letters from Berlin. I'm sure that's going to be a runaway bestseller as well. Oh, thank um, you, Sharon. And we'll... I think you're going to jump onto our, one of our Facebook Live segments coming on as well. That's right, yes. I yeah. think uh, on the 14th of October, I think. So our readers have got, uh, have got access to you in many ways this month yeah. um, to read the book and to celebrate the success of that book with you. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thanks again for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.